Okay, we are going to jump back into the book of Galatians. We've been away from it for about four weeks for our Christmas series, and I wanted to do an overview and kind of remind you guys of where we're at so that in the next 12 weeks, so it's how much we have left, you'll kind of be able to to have back fresh in your mind a picture of the forest. In the last 12 weeks, as we went through it, we're halfway through now, uh, in the last 12 weeks, we've spent so much time looking at details and, and going step by step and through the verses that we've taken a lot of time to look at the trees. And what I don't want to happen is us to, to miss the forest because really there's an overarching theme that we can't miss as we begin to, as we learn from the specific events and things that happened in the, in the book. So this, this will serve kind of as a refresher, but also as an encouragement, I hope. Uh, for many of you, you're memorizing along with me as we memorize the book of Galatians. I know that not all of you are at the same level, at the same place. I know that some of you are, um, are, are this is the first time you've done anything like this. And I, and I know that this is a technical book. That there's, it, has been, it has been easier to memorize the words, but harder to find a depth of application because this is more about building a foundation. And let me let me put it in terms like this. Out in uh, where, by Battlefield, where I live at, Price Cutter began doing, um, be, beginning began getting ready to build a building out there, and they did dirt work for man. I, I, it had to have been six months for the store. They did a huge amount of dirt work preparing the ground before they began to build the store on it. The thing is, is that you could drive by every day and it looked like they hadn't done anything. You see the trucks out there moving. You see all that's going on, but you saw no real visual progress. And really, that's what this book of Galatians, as we've gone so far through it in these first three chapters, so far, it's really been about preparing the foundation and building and strengthening your foundation. And so while there may not be a lot of points that seem super applicable in your life, let me encourage you and remind you, this truly is probably the most relevant book to our lives today. It's it's probably as important, if not more important, for any book for us to study in the context in which we live. And that's why I think that. In, In our context, where we live at, we live in a place where everywhere we turn, We are hearing false gospels preached at us and distortions made. They don't sound too bad. They almost sound right, but any distortion is a false gospel. And we have religious and irreligious people at every turn teaching us these false gospels. All roads lead to heaven. Isn't that Oprah's favorite? All roads lead to heaven. It's a lie. It is a lie. Most roads lead to hell. Hear me, most roads lead to hell. And I know that's direct and I know that sounds harsh and I don't say it with a hardness. It breaks my heart to know that people will spend an eternity separated from the greatness and glory of God. But most roads lead there. Only one. Only one road leads us the right way. And see, what you believe, the object of your faith matters. 
The object of your faith matters because all roads do not lead to heaven. Another one that's very prominent in our culture, even here in Springfield, in good religious Springfield, God wouldn't send good people to hell. It's a lie. That is a lie. In fact, the truth is from Scripture, there is no such thing as a good person. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And make no mistake about it. God will allow sinners who reject the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. He will allow them to die and be separated from him forever in torment and misery. We hear it every day. Don't allow yourselves to believe this lie. God would send deserving people to hell. And the truth is we all deserve it. Prosperity preachers. Prosperity preachers want you to believe that you can have your best life now. It's a lie. In fact, if you would settle for the things of this world and the satisfaction that, that may come for a moment from it, you might be trading the, the eternal experience and inheritance that we have in Christ our best life is not here, but it's there. It's in the life to come. Don't trade heaven for this. Don't listen to the lie. This life comes with trouble. But take heart. Christ has overcome. And our best life can be found in Him. Fundamentalists, and we have plenty of those in Springfield, fundamentalists would have you believe that if you, if you dress right, if you eat right, if you style your hair right, guys, that means we're going to have to grow it out and part it at just the right point. And ladies, you're going to have to put it in a bun. And I don't want to see anybody come back any ladies, I, I almost said anybody come back if you're not wearing dresses. <laughs> that, that would work at a fundamentalist church, I'm just saying. Ladies, you got to wear dresses next week. Fundamentalists fundamentalist would have you believe that if you eat right, if you dress right, if you look like them, if you smell like them, if you act like them, then you are in. It's a lie. There is no rule that will make you acceptable before God. Will faith make a difference in your life? Will it change the traje trajectory of your life? Absolutely it will. Yes, it will. But it's a byproduct and not baggage that you can carry up to God and say, look at all that I've brought you. Don't buy these lies. We live in a, in a world that much like Paul, as he was writing to the Galatians, we live in a world of twisted and distorted false gospels. There is only one gospel. 
And as Paul heard about these people, as Paul heard about what was happening in this church that he had been part of birthing, that God had used him to plant, he became emotional, he became tense, he sits down and he's writing them to remind them of the gospel and call them back to the gospel. He was writing them to confront them with the gospel as he called them back to the gospel. You see, the gospel, it may not seem like it answers all of our felt needs, but if we don't have this foundation upon which to stand, we are standing on sand and silt. And when the storm comes, we will fall. The gospel is the rock on which we can stand. The gospel, the message of God about His grace and redemption is probably the most important thing we can have right in our life. So don't miss this. I know, it's been discouraging. I've been discouraged along the way. I've, I've, I've felt the weight of memorizing and studying and the, and the technical parts of the book. I've felt it. But I'm telling you, in these last few weeks as I began to prepare again to be in this book and began reciting again, man, these scriptures have blown up in my heart. The beauty of God's work through the gospel and who He's made me because of the gospel and who He's making you because of the gospel. Be encouraged. Hear these words today. I hope that they're direct and I, I hope that, that they are clear. Because as Paul wrote, he wrote with a very special purpose to remind these people of the gospel and to call them back to the gospel. We're actually going to go through all three chapters that we've studied so far to, 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 to this point. And as we do, I just want to remind you just kind of the structure of the book. Chapter 1 and 2 is really a, a, a reminder, not a reminder, but it's Paul reestablishing his authority. When he gets up in their face and, and says some very direct words to them, he is the man to do it. He has the authority from God to do it. And so if we feel like he's in our face, he's got the authority to do, to, to do that. So today I'm going to recite to you the first three chapters. And really I want you to sit in the place of a Galatian. And I want you to sit in a place where you recognize you live in a world fraught with false, distorted gospels. And I want you to be reminded of the gospel. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ 
and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel that is contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Sorry, I got off. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have you, you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace. Thank you. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone nor did I go up to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to visit to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. glorified God because of me. They glorified Him. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. 
the gospel I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. And from those who seemed to be influential. What they were makes no difference to me, really. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter's, for Peter, for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, He was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, yet we know That no one is justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ We too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And this life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. 
I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, Christ died for no purpose. In chapter 1, he wrote these chapters, he wrote these words to show these Galatians, I have authority to teach you and to, con- uh, to call you back to this. I have a message from God, he says. You see, what we see in an overarching view is, is Paul coming and demonstrating his authority and demonstrating his apostleship, but in it we see how beautiful and how precious the gospel is to Paul. Consider it from this point of view. Jesus preached the gospel. I don't have a story like that. You probably don't have a story like that. I don't know anyone that's ever told me their story and said, Jesus showed up on the street and preached the gospel to me. Jesus preached the gospel to Paul. He's on the way to kill some people that believed in Jesus. And Jesus shows up. Wake up, Paul. What are you doing? Why do you persecute me? Jesus preached the gospel to Paul. Through the gospel, God saved Paul. If Paul wasn't saved and he wasn't a Christian of merit or he wasn't a good dude because he was a Jew, in fact, you might say that Paul was saved from his Judaism. You see, Paul, you heard him say it. You heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Had Paul stayed in Judaism, he would have found himself in hell. Paul was saved from himself. He was saved from his own religion. God, through the gospel, saved Paul. Are you getting why it might be important to Paul to know and understand the gospel? With the gospel, God transformed Paul. Paul was not the same dude after the Damascus Road as he was on the way to the Damascus Road. You see, Paul was on his way to kill people and arrest people because they were uh, standing against his traditions. He was so zealous. He believed it so deeply. He was so sold out to it that he didn't want anybody to disagree with him. And if they did, they would pay the price. Paul expected to arrest and kill people in Damascus and he shows up and rather than killing the Christians and arresting the Christians, he joined the Christians. He was transformed. And and maybe your story is not so radical. Maybe it's not so immediate. Maybe there's not some, some drastic change that you saw immediately overnight. Maybe you have experienced a process of years of God working in your life and slowly sanctifying you and allowing the pressure to just push the sin out of your life. Maybe maybe you've had a process of years. But I can tell you that it's through the gospel that God transformed Paul and it's through the gospel that God is transforming you. 
Are you understanding why the gospel is so radically important to Paul? Jesus preached the gospel to Paul personally. Through the gospel, God saved Paul. With the gospel, God transformed Paul. In the gospel, God sent Paul. Paul thought he had a mission in life before. He thought he knew what his life was about doing before. He was a rock star Jew. He was headed to fame, man. He was going to be the next big deal. He's the Mark Driscoll of Jews. Everyone was going to be talking about him. They were going to be reading his books, going to his conferences, wanting to hear every last thing he said. God shows up. It's not the life for you, Paul. You've got a different purpose, Paul. You're not going to be preaching Judaism, Paul. Here's my son, Jesus. Here is my son, Jesus. I have set you apart before you were born, and I am showing him to you now that you can go and preach of him and tell Gentiles of him. You see, Paul didn't sit, but the Bible tells us that immediately he began to preach the gospel. When, whenever when, whenever his, the, the scales fell off his eyes and he got his sight back from being blinded on the Damascus road, the Bible tells us that he immediately went to preach the gospel. God sent him to spread the word. I'm going to ask you again, are you seeing why the gospel might be important to Paul? You see, not only has God done all those things through the gospel in Paul's life, but by the gospel, by the gospel, God affirmed Paul in his identity. Paul's, Paul's ministry was wrought with trouble everywhere he went. He faced trouble and persecution everywhere he went. I mean, it is without fail. Read about him in the book of Acts. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians. I believe it's around chapter 13. It may not be quite right, but it's close. And he'll tell you all that he experienced and all the trouble he went through for the gospel. Most of us would begin, begin to doubt and question but by the power of the gospel, God affirmed Paul. And every step of the way, God was affirming Paul. So that even when people would come in and undermine his ministry, the power of the gospel, the power of God's grace and, and purpose for Paul was evident in Paul. God affirmed Paul through the gospel one last time, let me ask you, are you getting why the gospel is so important to Paul? See, the truth of the gospel, because it was so important, because it, was, it, it played such a, a big part of his life, the truth of the gospel then motivated Paul. It motivated him. It moved him. It set the direction of his life. I mean, consider it in these in, in, in just the things we've read about in these first two chapters, or you've heard about in these first two chapters, when there may have been a disparity between the message he preached and the original 11 apostles, it was so important to him that he went and he dealt with it face to face. 
He was sent by God. Not, I, don't, I don't think Paul discounted his message or doubted his message. I think he spent 14 years preaching this message because he believed it to be true. But everywhere he went, there was people teaching against him and talking against him and twisting the words he would say and telling the people he would speak to, don't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You need to follow this Jewish tradition. You need to do this. Men, you better get circumcised. Lady, put on your dresses. Put your hair in a bun. Do your deal. Follow these rules. And so Paul receives a revelation from God. Go up to these men and I'm going to establish unity among you. And he goes up, I think, confident in his message, but certainly wondering, certainly wondering, is it possible that I'm preaching a different gospel? And as they compare their gospels and their messages, they added nothing to him. It motivated him to ensure that he was preaching it rightly. It, it motivated him when legalists threatened the freedom of the believers that he, that he had led to the Lord. The, 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 the churches that he had planted in Galatia, when legalists threatened, he took the time to sit down and write a letter. It's not like you and me. We can sit and text on our phones. We can type out emails. I bring my iPad. I can communicate at any time I want. He sits down, maybe not with a stone and chisel, but it's not much better. And he writes a letter. And he sends it hundreds of miles away. He's motivated by the truth of the gospel. You see, when the actions of leaders in the church caused others in the church to act hypocritically and against the message of the gospel, Paul wouldn't have it. And he looked Peter in the eye, publicly rebuked him. What are you doing? If you're going to live in freedom, why would you enslave the Gentiles? That's essentially what he said. <clears throat> it might seem like a small deal sitting here not experiencing it. <clears throat> but I'm going to tell you as a man who's had to confront other church leaders, even privately, that is a difficult thing. That's not easy. And then you add the, the fact that he's standing in front of people, in front of members of the church. Paul was motivated by the gospel. This gospel, it was so important to him, and it motivated him so drastically because he was so radically changed by it. And as he sat and wrote these words, as he sat and, and, and said what he was saying, it was because he recognized that the old him was dead and gone. In fact, in his mind, the old him had been hung on that cross with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. That old me, the one given to self-righteousness and pride, is dead. And no longer this is a new man standing before you. I have been radically changed. That old life is gone. It was nailed to the cross. This life that I live, it, it, it's not even really me, but it's by the power of Jesus Christ that I can stand and proclaim, that I can be bold and courageous. 
It's by the power of Jesus in me that His grace flows through me. It's by the power of Jesus that His love is made evident in me. It's not even me. This life, though, that He lived in the flesh, you know, obviously, He's, he's not speaking literally to the point that He was really dead. Paul wrote the letter. Remember, he wrote the letter. He's the one that went into Galatia, physically went into Galatia. But in a very real sense, he died on the cross and was given new life in Christ. And the life that he then carried out in the flesh was not based upon his own desires and his own wishes and his own selfish perspectives, but was built on the faith that he had in Jesus Christ. You see, because it's not that you could work to be in the gospel. It's not that you could work to gain acceptance before God, but because of the gospel and the faith in it, your life changes radically. It's a byproduct of what God does through the gospel. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want you to think and I want you to ask. I want you to consider in your life, is the gospel this important to me? Is the gospel this important to you? Well, what's the gospel? I'm not even sure I know what is the gospel. Well, it just so happens that Paul didn't stop in chapters 1 and 2. He continued to write, and really the next two chapters, chapter 1 and 2, begin to develop his authority. Chapter 3 and 4 begin to, to develop the doctrine by which he begins to challenge the teaching of those that had come in and twisted his message. And he shows these Galatians. That's false. It's a lie. It's weak. And it's failing. And he begins to challenge the Galatians. Some pretty direct words. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are, are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law, by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then, it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. <clears throat> so those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. I'm sorry, so those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. <clears throat> For all who rely on works of the law. I'm sure Paul stopped and thought about things. You know what I mean? It's, he, 
He's a sharp dude, but I'm betting he stops and thinks along the way. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Oh, man. Christ, this is the best part. I can't believe I forgot this one. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. <clears throat> cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, hear it, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. You know who that is? I, I, I got to ask you, do you know who the Gentile is? That's you and me. That's us. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. <clears throat> that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. To give a human example, brothers. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were given to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. <clears throat> for if the inheritance comes, came by the law, for if the inheritance came by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. <clears throat> Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions. Thank you. <clears throat> it was added because of transgressions until the one should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by, a, by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. <clears throat> but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe 
<clears throat> now, before faith came, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian in order that we might be justified. So the, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. This is important. Are you with me? But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We are no longer under a guardian. Let that sink in. We are no longer under a guardian. Now I've talked about it so long I've forgotten my next line. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither, no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Abraham, or if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. You see, Paul, he sits down and he begins to write and he begins to set apart these two ideas. The Judaizers, <clears throat> the Judaizers had come in and they had undermined and twisted his words and said, yeah, faith in Christ is good, but you need this too. You need some action. You need some work. You need to present yourself to God and you need to make yourself acceptable before you do it. And this is what happens. This is what that looks like. Paul says, no, that's a lie. Their way is a lie. It's false. It's failing. Listen to the difference. The law brings a curse. It's not like the curse just showed up when the law did. It's not like the law comes on and it's flawed and failed and all of a sudden people are cursed because of the law. You see, the truth is, is that they were cursed before, but the law proved it for sure. Because no one, no person with two biological, physical parents is ever going to fulfill the law. Okay? It's not going to happen. It, we're not able to do it. Think of it in these terms. Just take the Ten Commandments. I would just take the Ten Commandments out of all of God's commands and just think of ten. I'm betting you won't make it. Let's just take one. Old number eight. thing is, do not steal. Do not steal. How many of you as kids were standing in the grocery aisle with your mom and looked at that? Well, back in my day, it was a three-cent piece of gum. I don't know why the purple ones attracted me so. little purple wrapped-up piece of gum. And the flavor only lasted just a few minutes. It wasn't like it was really good, but man, it was enticing. 
I don't know what it was for you. Maybe, maybe you're better than me and you didn't do this. But I can remember taking those pieces of gum. I don't remember ever getting caught. You can ask my mom about it. She's here. She'll tell you. But I remember stories of kids going in to have to talk to the cashier about stealing the gum. I can remember as I grew a little older that, you know, that just was something I did. And I'd love to take candy. Something about candy cigarettes. Don't know, they don't sell them anymore. You're not going to find them. So I quit stealing them. <laughs> no, this, I, I quit before they... I was, up to, I was up to like one pack a day, and I, I, I was like, this is it's too much. It's mastering me. i gotta got to give them up. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. I'd go into the, there was a, a Kate, and it, I don't, it wasn't a Casey's. I don't remember what the name of the store was. It was down from our house. We lived in Louisiana. I'd ride my bike there, and I'd go in, and I'd wait for the attendant not to be looking, and I'd steal some candy. And maybe, maybe you weren't like the grand theft, uh, like a cat burglar like me, you know. Maybe, maybe you're not stealing just a ton of stuff. Maybe you're not the guy that's out stealing those priceless works of art. But maybe even your theft is not even as tangible as a three cent piece of gum. Uh, how many of us productively work for the people that employ us every minute that they're paying us? How many of us sneak onto Facebook or do our personal emails when we're being paid to really do something else? You know, if your employer allows it, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking that that is a huge problem in the workplace. I mean, I was a, I was a production manager. I've watched it. I saw it. And, and, and the guys that I worked with, they, they worked out on the floor away from computers but because of technology, they were texting, they were checking their Facebook on their phones, they were, they were posting stuff all day long. It's like, don't you know? You friended me. I get your updates. I know when you're doing this. You know what? That's theft. That's stealing. The truth is, is that even, even if we could not break one of those commandments one day, and maybe one of those commandments you might not break two days. Well, no, I don't think it's going to happen. Because here's the truth of it. When you break that commandment to steal, you're not just breaking that commandment. Because the reality is, is that reveals a motivation that's deeper and darker. You see, we take something that doesn't belong to us because we don't care about the rules. And we don't care about the rules because we really want to be our own God. And immediately we broke old number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In fact, the truth is, is that every day of our life, there's not one person in this room, and, I, and that includes me, and I will tell you, I am a sinner so I'm not saying this to separate us in any way. I'm not just trying to be offensive. I am broken. I want to be many days. I want to be my own God. And the truth is, is that in striving to be our own God, we become a slave to that thing that we try to to try to prove our godhood in. You see, that little piece of gum 
it ruled over me and enslaved me. Those packs of candy cigarettes, as silly as they are, they ruled over me and enslaved me. Our sin does that. And what happens as that happens, as, as we begin to make decisions based on our desires for the things of this world, do you know what we're doing? We're breaking on number two. Thou shalt not erect or craft any idol, any graven image. In the things of this world, we erect and we worship and we adore and we long for and we desire. We are broken. We are sinners. And the truth is, is that the law, all it will ever do is reveal our sin. And so follow it if you want. Follow it if you like. But you are under a curse. But thank goodness, there is good news. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? The good news is that the gospel is that God chose, He decreed, He decided that instead of a curse, He would provide opportunity for a blessing. You can know the goodness of God. That is good news. We can experience His grace and His mercy. That is good news. And He says, you don't have to measure up. You don't have to make it. You don't have to make the cut. We're not trying out to be on the football team or to make it into the special forces or being the elite of the elite. He says, I gave Abraham a promise. The good news is, is that it comes not by our work, but by God's power to fulfill His promise. The good news is not only that we can experience the blessing and not only that it comes through a promise, but that God didn't leave anything undone and He paid for it for us. We owe nothing. Christ stepped into the curse and set us out under the blessing. He became a curse for us that we might know the blessings of the promise of Abraham, that we might know the goodness of God. What is the gospel? Even though we've only gone halfway through his doctrinal section, we already are able to really develop a working definition. It is the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are found in Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are found in Christ. Redeemed, brought out of, redeemed from the curse. And made sons of God. And ladies, don't, make, don't, don't let that make you feel bad. He's talking to you. We are His children. He is our Father. 
the good news that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are found in Christ, redeemed from the curse, made sons of God and heirs of the promise. Let me ask you, how important is the gospel to you? This book is blowing up in my life and I pray and I hope that it's blowing up in yours as well. See, the beauty of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is what is being preached to you. It's what God used to save you. It's what God is using to transform you. It is what God has used to send you what God will use all along the way to affirm you. Just like Paul, your life might look like it might look different on the outside. The events and the circumstances might be different, but the work of the gospel, I am sure, is the same. You've been saved by the gospel if you have trusted in Christ. You have been transformed by the gospel if you are in Christ. You are being affirmed by the gospel if you are in Christ and you are sent by the gospel, with the gospel, if you are in Christ. The gospel is the most important and relevant thing in your life. Let me just ask you, how are you responding to it? Is it motivating you? Are you moved by it? And I'm not just talking about emotional. I, I hope it happens emotionally. But are you moved by it? Are you moving? Are you moving with it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your work, for your power, for your gospel, for your truth. I pray, God, that you will just rest on us through your Spirit. That you will work miracles among us. That you will call us to repentance. That you will lead us. And show us how you'd have us to respond. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. It's all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we come to a time of response.